know, we do these uh, parent dedications and all, and, and, you know, it's one of those things you go, well, you know, doesn't every parent love their child? Yeah, they do. Uh, maybe not every parent. I suppose there's exceptions. But I think, you know, in the normal course of things, the typical things, you know, do, do, we, love our, do we love our children? Uh, but I think one of the things that we sometimes miss is that what we're trying to do here is not just say we're going to love our children on our own. Because a lot of times when we think about, you know, why do we even have kids? You know, and people have kids for different reasons. Sometimes they are um, accidents. By the way, if your child is here and was an accident, don't look at them at this moment. <laughs> Awkward moments, right? Sometimes that happens, but sometimes there's a, there's a reason. Like, maybe you've always wanted to have kids. Maybe it meets a need, a desire, a bucket list thing that you want to do. You know, there is something in us, fundamental to us, that, of why we want to have children. And, and it's, you know, it goes back to just our nature. Our nature is, you know, we love ourselves, and we love our kind. And there's no more your kind than someone that, who's your child. And it's just, it's natural. It's inside of all of us. But it's still not really what God's love is about. You know, some people, um, you know, think about, you know, you know, doing things like adoption and things like that. And, um, and when they do, they, you know, they obviously are adopting because they love the child. And when we think about that, most of us go, yeah, that's expected. That's what should happen. And when it doesn't happen, it's like, there's something wrong about that. That's weird. That's strange. That needs to be fixed. That needs to be corrected. And so we look at parents' love for child, and those of you who had, you know, children, you know this personally, and, you know, or as if you had had time to reflect on your parents, most of you can can understand that that there's a there's a there's a depth there, that that even though our parents weren't perfect or we weren't perfect as parents, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a deep and abiding love. But it's not God's love. See, God's love is different. Uh, we talk about God's love being unconditional. And that is exactly what it sounds like. It's without condition. And see, God can't really love His kind because there is no other God. There's only one. He can only love things that are not like Him. And that's kind of important. It's very different. Beyond that, even though He doesn't have any, any being who's like Him, and He cannot love His kind, He still loves and he loves unconditionally. The Bible tells us that, that we, be, we become adopted into his family. And one of the things is, is that he doesn't wait till we're adopted to love us. He loves us before he adopts. You see, God doesn't love 
to meet a need. This isn't some lonely, needy God going, oh, you know, I wish there was someone I could love. So I'm going to create some people to love. No, the Bible presents God as this perfect Father, Son, Spirit Trinity, this community that's, that has no needs. And we also then see what Jesus and Paul and even John is going to tell us about what that looks like in our world. Like, we know we can't be God, right? Because God is God. He's unique. But he says, this is what this same love, if it goes through you, what it's going to look like. It's not just love for your kind. In fact, you're going to love your enemies. And you're going to love strangers. And you're not just going to love people that may someday help you or benefit you. Or even if they don't help you or benefit you, they kind of build you up and make you feel like you accomplished something. No. You're going to love the helpless and the ones who cannot help you and cannot give you anything back. This is the hope for the world. You know, one of the places I see, and I'm not going to tell you I understand the psychology of this, and I'm kind of glad I don't in a way, because it would have meant I probably had to experience it. But one of the places I see this sometimes is when, when we're on the mainland, and um, some of you know my, my youngest daughter um, you know, had to go into the um, ICU for babies. And, you know, she was otherwise healthy, but she had a goiter on her neck and they're afraid it might grow and block her airways. But she was otherwise healthy and she was, you know, normal sized Sanders baby, which was pretty big um, there. But, you know, Cheryl was there all the time and, you know, I would go and visit and Cheryl would tell me stories about, um, you know, different families that she was talking to and meeting. And, and you know, there was, um, there was this one time this one family that they, they were giving you know going to give birth and then gave birth and they knew this before the baby was born they knew the baby had problems and but they were you know they they didn't believe in abortion even for those reasons and they knew the baby had problems and they knew the baby would only live you know for a matter of hours or and, um, you know, they had the baby anyway. And, you know, I thought about that. This baby wasn't going to give them the things you were supposed to get. You know, the deal is, we have this baby. We put up with all their pooping and crying and keeping you up at night. And, you know, then going through the terrible twos and the worst threes and the horrible fours and then up into teenage years which are really bad right you go through all that and the deal is they're gonna somehow bless you they're gonna somehow you know turn out okay and they're gonna you know they're gonna have families or they're gonna you know they're gonna be successful in their careers and, and that's the deal it's like we do something and then they do something but these families knew they're not gonna get 
And from a common sense standpoint, you're like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting all these resources? But I love it. They were loving the helpless. They were loving those that couldn't pay them back. Pretty amazing. But it's more than that. One of the reasons we need to really get you know, God's love, we need to really understand it. And we really need to understand how we can have it. It's because it is the hope for the world. I see, you know, more and more people, especially a lot of young people, are really concerned about the world. And they're looking for all of these these, these solutions about how to make the world a, a, you know, a better place. And, they're, you know, they're no different from how we were in some ways, except I think they tend to be more committed to it. And I know the solutions. And I've seen when they've been tried in other parts of the world at other times in history. They don't end well. They don't make things better. The only hope for the world is that the world would be a kingdom united by God's love. And this is God's impossible love. You see, it's the love of self and the love of our kind. And, and what's happening in the world is the world, you know, in some ways people are saying, hey, the world's getting better because we're tearing down walls. You know, and we're no longer, you know, living according to traditional groupings. Yeah, we're no longer living to traditional groupings. We're creating new ones. We're redefining what our kind is. But it's still the same thing. It's just not based on maybe race or, or gender or you know, whatever else you know, we might have divided up before. But at the heart of it, it's still the same thing. It's not God's unconditional love. And I don't blame the world. I mean, I don't blame the world. Because until the world sees God's love, it will always accept something less or believe it's impossible. Think about that. Neither one of those is a really good alternative. If you accept something less than God's love, and you mistake it for God's love, it's going to lead to a whole bunch of problems that you're not really going to understand because you think you're living out God's love. It's worse if you think it's impossible that even God can't can help us do this. It's even worse then. Because once people believe something is impossible, they either stubbornly keep doing it, or they totally give up. This is John, writing 2,000 years ago, writing to a church that's in this, this, this Greco-Roman society. And it's all of these, these, these same kind of values that we have in our world today are still there. They're expressed in different ways, but they're still there. And some of those are, are starting to come into the church. And John is trying to help them understand. And 
he's trying to help them see, you know, these, it's not just that you disagree about some facts about God, that those disagreements actually matter, especially when you see how they affect how we live for God, how we love, how we are together as a community. They matter. And so he's doing that. And we've already talked about this from chapter 1 on. And again, I encourage you, if you missed some of those sermons, you want to hear them, we have a podcast of all the sermons that are available. Um, but he says here, in verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not, they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. There's a lot of words there, and sometimes they're repeated, and sometimes when words are repeated we get kind of confused. And plus there's some hot button words there. We see last hour, we see Antichrist, and immediately we start thinking about, you know, oh, you know, is this, is this end times? Is this revelation? Is that what it's talking about? And then we, you know, we get out our Bibles and we, you know, turn to Revelations, we turn to Matthew, we turn to Thessalonians, and we look for all the passages that talk about end times. Well, it's pretty clear from this context, that's not what it's talking about. First of all, you may, not, you may or may not know this, but John is the only one who actually uses the term Antichrist. But the bigger thing is that he says there's going to be many Antichrists. Lots of them. He says they're already here. And so when we hear that term and we think Antichrist, we think end times, we think of some really powerful, influential, you know, human being who, who has, like, you know, influenced by Satan or perhaps Satan himself. That's what we think. And so then we think, well, is John saying, is he saying all these people in the church that he disagrees with are that? Are they like that? Are they influenced by Satan? Is that what he's saying? The answer is no, it's not what he's saying. The only reason we think he's saying that is because we think Antichrist is somehow attached to 
the beast in Revelation or the man of lawlessness or that we read about in other parts of the Bible. No. The word anti is just a Greek word that can mean in opposition to or contrary to. It can mean a lot of other things. It can mean to try to take the place of or to be like Christ. And it doesn't seem like that's what John is talking about here. He seems to have more of the sense that, that, they are, that they are opposing the true teachings of Jesus. He later on says in this same passage, they deny. You know, he says, you know, he says, they deny that the, the, the son has the father. He's, he's saying this is what they're saying. They're, 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 they're teaching against who Jesus said he was. That's kind of the idea. And the thing we got to keep in mind is they're not coming from outside. They're in the church. They're part of the church. They're hanging out. And they probably think that they are Christians and are not antichrist. They are probably likable people because we know people listen to them. And when they eventually left, people went with them. The, the thing we have to get out of our heads is that they're not evil in the sense that they're, you know, they're plotting the overthrow of the church or they're trying to take advantage of people. They sincerely believe that what they're saying is true, but it's false. But they really believe it. And they believe it enough to tell other people about it. But the problem is, is that it's false. It's not true. And the, that, that leads to all kinds of problems. It goes back to the whole thing we were talking about being a healthy church. And, and if we're going to be a healthy church, we're a church of disciples. And what are disciples doing? We're disciples of Jesus. We're trying to understand His Word, understand His truth. Because if we start getting that wrong, it starts to affect everything else. We don't always see the connection. But just because you don't see the connection doesn't mean there isn't a connection. So it's not that they're evil in the sense that we think of evil. It's that they're false, wrong. And I ask this question because, um, again, they probably were likable people. And would you rather have a nice person tell you lies or an unpleasant one tell you the truth? Hopefully you don't have to make that choice. Right? Hopefully you don't have to make that choice. But if you had to make the choice, would you rather have a nice person tell you lies? Or would you rather have someone you might not personally care for tell you the truth? But what's interesting here is that their false teaching is not the reason he calls them the Antichrist. Oh, it's part of the reason. Part of the reason, 
But he says, what is the test? Yes, they have false teaching. Yes, it says that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. They are false. They are lying. But the test is, they left. Not that they got kicked out. Not that the church went through church discipline and confronted them and found that they were not going to be repentant or change in any way and didn't want to work towards reconciliation. No. They just left. And we were talking about this Wednesday night. And by the way, if you want to have more of a Bible study on this, come Wednesday night. Because a lot of times I don't have time to cover every detail or answer your questions. Wednesday night we do. I invite you to come. But on Wednesday night we were talking about it. People said the same thing I would say. Well, that's kind of harsh. Just because you left, just because your opponents left, you're calling them the Antichrist? Come on, John. Yeah, that sounds like, yeah, anybody could say that. How can John say that? Well, there's a couple of reasons he can say it. He's been talking in the previous part of this letter, and now he's saying it again and again in this letter. He keeps saying, you have knowledge. The Holy Spirit has anointed you. At the end, he goes so far as to say, no one really needs to teach you about this because you have the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's telling to the people who are there, He's saying kind of a dangerous thing for him to say. He's not being manipulative. He's not saying, you know, because you know me, I'm John. I'm John. I'm the dude who walked with Jesus. Any of you guys walk with Jesus? Were you there when he fed the 5,000? Were you there at the cross? I was the only disciple at the cross. Come on. He's not doing that. He's not saying, look at me. I'm like 90 bajillion years old. You guys have never even been to Jerusalem. He's not invoking his personal authority. He's doing something that's kind of dangerous. He's just disregarding his personal authority. Instead, he's saying, he's saying, look inside. If, if the Holy Spirit did to you what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you know what I'm saying is true. That's how you know. Now, people who were left could have gone, no, don't know that. Still don't agree with you. And left. But John is trusting the Holy Spirit in their lives. When they think about what what they knew about who Jesus is. When they thought about, you know, the whole idea of who the Holy Spirit is, when they thought about all these things, they would, they would realize that what John was saying and how John was acting by being there and trying to, to reconcile and, and work through these problems, that that's representative of the Spirit. And the person who when, when, when they're going through that process, decides, no, I'm going to walk away from it. That's not 
what the Holy Spirit would do. He's asking them. He's asking them to, to look and say, you know, not because someone taught you, but because when you became a Christian, you were made new. Later on, he's going to say it in a more direct way. He's going to say, everyone who's born of God loves because God is love. He's going, to, he's going to say, does love act like that? Does love say, you know, we disagree about something and so I'm just going to leave because you're not accepting what I say to be true. So I'm just going to leave. Is that what love does? Uh, maybe what human love does. But is it what God's unconditional love for your enemies Love for strangers, love for the helpless, is that what it does? And he's appealing to that in them. So for them, it doesn't sound as harsh as it does to us. So what does this you know text say? What is it what is it trying to help us understand? And it's really trying to in his appeal to to who they are in Christ. And this anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's saying, if you're truly a Christian, it's not because you were baptized. It's not because you said certain words. It's not because you even hold certain beliefs. It's because you have been made new through faith in Jesus Christ. That what the Bible promises is that when we have faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, at that moment, we are made new. We're not made clean. We are made clean. But we're more than made clean. We're made new. If we're just made clean, we make the same mistakes, we do the same things, we go back to the same place, we've got to keep going back and you know, coming back to Jesus all the time. But if we're made new, it's different. The true Christians have been made new through faith in Jesus Christ. And as, as Jesus says in John's Gospel, that, that one of the ways you know you're made new is because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Have the Holy Spirit and that's why he keeps talking about you, this anointing you receive from the Holy Spirit. You go back to the second half of the Gospel of John. It's all about the Holy Spirit is coming to be your counselor and your guide. Paul later on will write about you know, the, the fruit of the Spirit and the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, you know, And because we've been made new through faith in Jesus Christ, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Romans 5, the Holy Spirit pours out God's love on us. Which means we now can love like God loves. We can love unconditionally and unceasingly. Do you know how I know when God's love is taking over in my life? Maybe it's true for you too. It's when I'm, you know, the people that I'm loving or trying to help have so exhausted me. 
I'm so tired. The human part of me just wants to say, give up. Go do something else. Move on. And there's this thing inside of me, this love inside of me that says, no, you cannot. Now is the time you're going to know it's not your love. It's my love. You're out of strength. You're tired. You're frustrated. You keep trying, and they don't respond, and it's exhausting. Now, keep loving. That's my love. It's easy to love lovable people. Mary's great. I had three wonderful daughters. I can take a fourth. You know, Cheryl, you good with that? Yeah, we're good with that. You know, but I'm pretty sure, just like my daughters, she's going to have some unlovable moments. And maybe those moments stretch over more than a few moments. But what about, what about the people that aren't really lovable, whether they're here in this room right now, or whether they're in our communities. You want to know that God's love, that you have His Spirit, that you have this new nature, it's when you're loving them. It's when you're loving the unlovable. And the last point that seems to be this point about why John can say the fact that they left is, is the evidence that they never really were with Christ. And he says, because if true Christians never give up on other Christians, not because it's some weird commitment, because they can't. God's love won't let them. We read those passages of Scripture where, you know, it talks about nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. You know, all these powers and principalities, persecution, tribulation, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That same love is what's supposed to be uniting us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And John is saying, if you have it, if you have it, it's never gone. It's always there. As Paul will later write, maybe four or five years later, in 1 Corinthians 13, he'll say, love never fails. He's talking about God's love. He's not talking about human love. Human love fails all the time. But love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never fails. And we read this at weddings and it's all nice. But it's not talking about human love. It's not talking about the love for self or the love for my kind. God's unconditional love. The love for the enemy. The love for the stranger. The love for the helpless. 
How are we ever, ever, ever going to be able to love our enemies if we cannot love our brothers and sisters in Christ who we disagree with? How are we going to do it? This is like, to me, in the church, this is like, you know, level one loving, right? I think, you know, if you play video games, you know, you got different levels. Loving enemies is way up here. Some of us can't get to that level because we can't get past the first level. He's saying, it never fails. John, you know, we, we never get this other side of the story. But this is, you know, what I think John would have said if somebody would ask him, how can you say this? How can you say this about them just because they left? He might have said something like this. If they had been really with us, if they had really been transformed by the love of God and they had God indwelling them, the Spirit indwelling them, if that was true, they would have worked towards reconciliation. If all of that was true, they would have continued to, to discuss and study God's Word and debate and really help us know truth because if we're wrong, out of love, they would have tried to help us. And if we think they're wrong, out of love, we would try to help them. That's what love would do. Study more. Understand more. Talk more. If they had been with us, if they had been with us, they would have stayed here even if we continued to disagree. They would have stayed. And understand, John is writing this about a really serious issue. He's not writing about, you know, the kind of things that usually cause fights in our churches. You know, Whatever it is, you always hear about the carpet. I've actually never been in a church where people fought about the color of carpet and divided. But people like to say it because, you know, it sounds trivial. Maybe you have. Um, fine. But we divide over much less than this key doctrine, who is Jesus? And John is saying, look, if we're really united by the Holy Spirit, we will work through whatever we need to work through, even if there's going to be a period of time where we disagree about things. Because love, it says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All things. Not some things, not most things. All the love that loves enemies, we should be able to love those we disagree with. And if we have the love that never fails, we should be able to overcome our differences. Now understand, I'm not talking about when things rise to the level of having church discipline. Sometimes that has to happen. Everybody who understands the teaching on church discipline, when sometimes you have to ask somebody to stop coming. Paul always says it's with the hope that they'll come back. 
that they'll be reconciled. That the only way they're going to understand what they're doing is wrong or harmful or dangerous or false is if they need to be separate from the body for a while. But the hope is that they always come back. That's, that's the test. How to spot an antichrist. Just ask you to think about this as we kind of go into our time of reflection, response. When you hear John's words, when, when he says, you know, you have the anointing of the Spirit, you know that the things I'm telling you, that they are true. You know. Even if it bugs you, you still know it's true. Even if you're not doing it very well, you still know it's true. Then ask yourself, are these words, sometimes hard words, connecting with the spirit who is inside? If you can't really answer that question honestly, as saying yes, love to talk to you about it. But I have a feeling a lot of you know. You hear it. You read what John is saying. And you go, yeah. I know. It's true. It may be a little convicting because I know all of us, including myself, have left other Christians. Not for the right reasons. And we certainly didn't love them. Not with this kind of love. So even if we've made mistakes, even if we haven't done it perfectly, when we see and read and hear the truth of God's Word, does it connect with what happens to us when we have faith in Jesus Christ? 